Well, good morning. All right. We are not going to go long today. I have to leave for vacation after this. No, um, we're not going to go long today. Uh, I know uh, Nadia asked me specifically to speak faster because she's very hungry today. So um, I I'm going to apologize uh, in advance that I am probably not going to speak any faster than I normally speak. Uh, I'd like to say happy birthday to Jim Lytle over here this week. Celebrated a birthday, right? He is, uh, he's 49 again this year, so uh, we, are, we are just so blessed uh, that he is uh, with us again for another year. So um, happy birthday to Jim. We're, we're glad that some of you college students are back here. We're excited to have you here and uh, excited what you bring to our, to our ministry as well. I'd like to start off with a, with a college story of mine, and um, I'm going to warn you ahead of time, this is not a very flattering college story. Uh, that I am a part of here. But um, for those of you who know me pretty well, you know that um, I frequent a few restaurants in town, and one of the restaurants that I basically live at is McDonald's. Okay, I live at McDonald's. Um, we were in CVS the other week, and uh, one of the ladies who works the drive-through was there, and my wife was with me, and I was like, oh, you guys have finally met. I was like, Julie, I was like, this is the woman that feeds me the other half of the time. Um, but I live at McDonald's, and um, while I was attending school at, uh, at Baptist Bible College, Clark Summit University at the time, um, well, Baptist Bible College at the time, um, I uh, was also frequenting, frequenting, frequenting this, uh, this establishment as well. And I'll never forget, I was coming from somewhere else other than school, and I was driving down State Street, and there was a pickup truck that was following me. It was a lifted pickup truck. Um, I think the color of the truck was, was primer, um, and uh, it, was, it was following me very, very closely. Very, very closely. Now, those of you who know me know that I am a very calm, patient driver. Not at all. Um, I, I frequently get frustrated with other people on the road. I get frustrated when they don't use their turn signal. I get frustrated when I don't know what you're doing. If I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, you may not hear it, but everyone else who's in the car with me is going to hear that I'm frustrated with you. Again, not a very flattering picture of myself uh, this morning, but he was following me very closely. He could have very easily gone around me, but he decided that he was going to ride my tail. So I decided that I was going to make sure his brakes worked. Um, so I tapped my brakes gently, maybe not so gently, um, and he had to then, you know, tap his brakes. Now, if you've ever been in a lifted big truck and you try to tap your brakes, it's, it can be scary. Um, it can be scary at times because, you know, you, you have a higher center of gravity and it's, it's harder to control. So I go to McDonald's, and sure enough, this pickup truck decides it wants to follow me into, the, into this, uh, this McDonald's parking lot. It was the old McDonald's. Um, they didn't have a farm. Um, it was an old McDonald's, and uh, they, uh, the, the, the drive through was a little bit different, and um, there was a door, like right on the other side of the window. So this gentleman had a uh, gentleman. He was either in high school or a college student as well. Um, he, had a, he had a few friends with him. And you guys look at me, 
okay? You look at me, and if you saw me from behind and I'm driving in the car, you might not think much of it. Like, you just see the back of a head. I did have hair back then, but you'd see the back of a head. Um, but when he came into order, you could actually see through the drive through window to the person in the driver's seat. And they saw me, this skinny kid in this beat-up old car. And I think they thought to themselves, we got a shot at beating this kid up. So when I came up to the, to the be the first in line here, this young man opened the door to get outside. And he yelled, hey! And then he stopped. We'll tell you the rest of the story at the end of the message. So, uh, in John, uh, John chapter 16 here. John chapter 16. Uh, we're going to open up and we're going to start in verse 23. We're going to kind of backtrack a little bit uh, to last week. We started a sermon that we, we entitled uh, Feeling Alone. And uh, this week we're going to continue in that. We've titled this message, Christian, You Are Not Alone. Okay, you are not alone. And last week we, we end it with verses uh, 23 and 24 here and we're going to pick that up here. Uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It's the last opportunity that he has before um, he is going to be arrested um, to speak to just these disciples here in a safe area where it's pretty calm and controlled. But what Jesus is, with, is sharing with them is anything in their minds but calm and controlled. They are scared. They are sorrowful. They don't know what's going on. They are completely confused. And Jesus ends here and he says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in the name of, uh, I'm sorry, in the Father, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made complete. Our big idea today is that we need to be joyful because the work of Christ gives the believer access to God. The work of Christ gives the believer access to God. Now Jesus kind of ends this, uh, this section here where he's talking about their sorrow being turned to joy. And he says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. And we talked last week, and we talked about the idea that um, Jesus is referring to their current question, their current situation here. Um, that they are feeling abandoned and alone, but the day will come not too far off where all of this will make sense. You won't have any more questions. You won't ask me where I'm going. You won't ask me how long a little while is. Everything will make sense. And he kind of changes his direction here and he says truly truly I say to you whatever you ask of the father in my name he will give to you we're going to talk a lot about prayer today and Jesus is talking about prayer here and he's talking about asking the father for things in his name now it's not the first time Jesus has talked about prayer um, in, in the Gospels, we, we see that Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And he starts off by addressing the Father. 
and he is very, very clear. But Jesus doesn't end that prayer with, in my name, right? He doesn't end the prayer with, in my name, I am, I am saying these things, because Jesus doesn't have to do that. And we'll talk about why Jesus doesn't have to do that in a moment here. But he's, he's telling the disciples, listen, whatever you ask for in my name, it will be given to you. But why? Why does he ask them to do it in his name? And the answer is, is pretty profound and simple at the same time. It's because we're asking for things based on the merit and the credit of the work that Christ has done. Based on the merit and the credit of the work that Christ has done. If I ask for things based on my own merit and credit, I'm not going to get very far with God. I know myself, okay? Guess what? God knows me better than I know myself. Deep down, if I am left to my own devices, I'm not a very good person. Don't ever pray for anything in the name of Billy Mulligan, please. You will be sorely disappointed. Unfortunately, there's a whole, (laughs) you will be disappointed. Um, There's a whole group of people out there that are living a lie. And they're disappointed each and every day. We'll talk about that in a minute as well. Because the works are the evidence that he is worthy for us to pray for things in his name. That's why he asks them, uh, tells them to do this. And then he says, he will give it to you. Now, this is, this is again, a difficult thing for an entire group of people that live in our country today. It's not like at the end of any prayer we can just say, hey, hashtag Jesus, and, and we're going to get it, right? But there's a whole group of people out there that believe that if they claim something in the name of Jesus, that they will receive it. I'm here to tell you today that there is nowhere in Scripture that that is is evident, true, that based on our own merits, just because we say something, it's going to happen. We'll talk about why it's not going to happen, but the basic answer to that is because we need to align our will with the will of God. There is a great power in submission to the will of God. We're going to talk a lot about the will of God this morning. Jesus, when he, when he tells his disciples how to pray, he says, Thy will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus tells the disciples very, very clearly here that their prayers need to line up with the will of God. I said this last week. I, I'm, I'm not going to be a millionaire. I'm not going to pray and I'm not going to say, hey God, give me a million dollars in Jesus' name. And boom, I'm going to get a million dollars. Unless that's in the will of God. But if my heart's right, I know that my treasures aren't here on this earth. I know my God is bigger than a million dollars. I know my God is bigger than a billion dollars. The joy that we talked about last week is when our will lines up with the will of God. This is what produces joy 
in our life, is submitting to the will of God in our life. And listen, that means that sometimes in our life, we're going to have sorrows and we're going to have troubles. How we respond to those is going to be determined whether we have joy or not. That's going to be the determining factor. Are we going to choose sorrow? Or are we going to fall back into fear and slavery, the spirit of slavery that we had in sin? Or are we going to, is it going to produce a joy in our life because we have submitted to Christ? Uh, turn with me to, um, to Romans chapter 8. We're going we're gonna to jump back to Romans 8 here, and we're going to look at exactly how prayer works for the believer. Exactly how prayer works for the believer. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now remember guys, Jesus has already talked about in this discourse the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. That not only is he a comforter to us, but he reminds us of Jesus' words. He is the one that reminds us. He is the one that gives us understanding. He is the one that gives us the ability to walk in the will of God. So he starts off here and he says, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for what we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with groans too deep for words. There's a tremendous truth in here. You don't know on your own what to pray for. The Spirit already knows what you need. And before you even ask for it, before you can even utter the words, because you don't know the words to utter, the Spirit is already making intercession for us. Let that sink in for a second. Before you even know what you need, the Spirit is making intercession for you. That should cause joy. That should be a huge relief to the believer that we have something, that before we even have to ask for it, someone is asking for us. And that someone is God. Verse 27, And he who searches the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit. Who is the one who searches hearts? The Father, right? He looks on the inward. He looks at your heart. He knows the mind of the Spirit. There's no disconnect. There is a perfect fellowship between the Spirit and the Father. If we have the Spirit in us, we have access to the Father. We'll talk about how we get the Spirit in us in a second. Uh, continuing on here. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to what? The will of God. How does, how does prayer work? The Spirit intercedes for us. We need to submit ourselves to the will of God. We do that by allowing our spirit to be submissive to the Holy Spirit. But there's only one way that this, this happens. There's only one way that you get this huge, incredible benefit. And that's if you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. It's the only way that this works for your prayers. You see, the Spirit can't come apart from the works of Christ. 
And this is what he shared, what we talked about last week with, our, with the disciples here. He's saying, listen, when I leave, it's for your benefit. It's for your benefit that I'm leaving because when I leave, I will send my spirit to you. And you will then have access to God. Now part of the works of Christ, what were the works that Christ performed in order to be uh, capable of being this, this individual who could, who could mediate for us, who could give us the power of the Spirit, who could send the Spirit to us? Well, he lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life on this earth, and not only did he live a perfect life, but he died for our sins. And in dying for our sins, death and sin could not hold him because he was not guilty he was innocent, and God raised him from the dead. The only one who is worthy to give us this power is Jesus Christ. And this is the man, the God-man, who is talking to these disciples right now. And he finishes in verse 24 here in this transition. He says, until now you have asked nothing my name, in my name. Ask and receive that your joy may be made full. And for the believer, as we've already said, this joy is knowing that what we're praying for isn't always in our will or our best interest. We are submitting to the will of God. And we're saying, Lord, your will be done in these situations. And that produces joy when we see God work. But the hard thing is, sometimes when we see God work, it's not necessarily going to be in the way that we are excited about. But there is a comfort and a joy that comes with walking in the will of God. Verse 25 here. Jesus continues to explain to his disciples here what he's talking about. And he says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech, but the hour is coming where I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but tell you plainly about the Father. Jesus makes a statement here and he says, listen, in the future, in the future, in some, at some point in the future, an hour is coming where I will speak to you plainly. It's not right now, but there is a time in the future when it's going to happen. Verse 26, in that day, in that day you will ask in my name, and I, I do not say to you that, uh, I'm sorry, and do I not say to you, um, I'm sorry, do not I say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf? For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. The first reason that we can ask for things in Jesus' name is that he is worthy of it. The second reason that we can, we can ask for things in Jesus' name it's because Jesus has a position that we don't have. He has a place that we do not have. And that place is right now seated at the right hand of the Father. 
That is where Jesus is at. There are several verses in in Scripture that, that tell us flat out that this is where Jesus is. Matthew mentions it, Mark mentions it, Luke mentions it, Ephesians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 12, Revelation chapter 4. There is no mistaking right now where Jesus Christ is. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. But what is he doing? Is he just glorified up there and looking pretty and and nice? John John definitely describes in Revelation 4, he definitely describes how pretty Jesus looks and how pretty the throne room is and how pretty everything is. But what is Jesus doing up there? Well, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. John shares with us, and he says, My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What is Jesus doing when we ask for things in Jesus' name? Jesus is our advocate. He is petitioning the Father on our behalf. I'm going to share a personal story with you guys, and I don't ever do this, but I'm going to do it now. Usually I, I speak in figures of speech when I refer to this particular denomination. Some of you have heard me say that before. I used to be a part of a different denomination. I'm going to tell you right now, I used to be Roman Catholic. And these verses here, this whole setup here, challenges a way that I used to think. And now I think differently in light of what the Spirit and the Word has revealed to me. See, when I was growing up, if I, uh, if I lost something, I was asked to pray to this saint. And, and that, would, that would help me find what I needed to find. Um, I would pray to this saint, and that saint would then, um, because positionally they were closer to God, they would then approach the throne room of God and make a petition for me. There's a whole part of the Catholic Mass um, that, that goes through and it says, uh, Mary, Mother of God, and the, the congregation is supposed to respond, pray for us. Um, and it goes through a whole list of saints where they're asking for, for these saints to pray for them. Nowhere in scripture does it say that any saint is my advocate in heaven. There is only one advocate that I have in heaven, and that is Jesus Christ. The book of, the book of, uh, of Hebrews, as we, as we just mentioned a second ago, tells us flat out that we have a high priest, and he is the only mediator between God and man. He is all we need. When Jesus Christ was sacrificed on the cross, the temple curtain was rent in two, exposing the holy place. As a sign that we now have access to God through the works of Jesus Christ. It's the only name that I have to pray in because it is the only name that is worthy. When I said earlier, don't ask for anything in the name of of Billy Mulligan, some of you may laugh. But there are millions of people across the world right now that are praying to human beings. Asking them to petition the Father for them. 
Roman Catholicism is grounded in this idea of position, where you are positionally. There's the average person who attends church as a Catholic. But then, then there's the deacons. Oh, and then there's the priests, and then there's the, uh, the, the cardinal, or the bishops, and then the archbishops, and then the cardinals. And, and someday you may be uh, fortunate enough to be on the college of cardinals, and then maybe you can figure out who's going to be the next pope. All of these individuals are positionally, in a Catholic's mind, closer to God. When they're praying to these saints, they believe positionally they are closer to God. And I'm going to tell you right now, I can't point to a single verse in Scripture to support that. I can point to many verses in Scripture that tell me exactly where Jesus Christ is and exactly what he is doing for me. And there is no other name that I need to pray to or in, in their name in order to have access to God. Jesus tells us flat out, pray for things in my name and you will receive them. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you, uh, do I not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world to go to the Father. Again, Jesus tells them he's speaking plainly to them about his position. But I think there's one other reason he is speaking plainly to them here. And that's to give them a picture. A picture of what it will be like when they have the Spirit. Because look at their response here in verse 29. His disciples say, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know... All things and do not, need, uh, do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you are from God. You know what I think Jesus does here for them? I think Jesus exactly gives them a picture of what the Holy Spirit is going to do for them. Jesus speaks to them plainly and explains something to them. And they understand. And that understanding produces a form of belief. A form of belief. It's not, it's not saving belief yet, but it is a form of truth that is being revealed by Jesus here. And what he's saying is the Holy Spirit, the picture that he's painting here is the Holy Spirit is going to do this for you. But somehow, by some supernatural means, Jesus is able to reveal this small portion of truth to the disciples here. And they're amazed. They're in awe of it. But the disciples are getting a little bit ahead of themselves. To be honest with you, this is the perfect illustration of why Christ, uh, part of why Christ needs to leave. They can't keep coming to him for answers. They can't. It's impossible for this to continue forever and ever and ever that they would physically come to him and ask questions. Jesus tells them, in the future, you will ask for things in my name. But the Spirit will come, 
and the Spirit will explain to you things. In the same way and in the same manner that you have just understood this truth, the Spirit will come someday. Jesus answered them in verse, uh, in verse 31. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is indeed coming and has already come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and leave me alone. Jesus says, you think you believe? Yeah, I've showed you a picture of what that belief will feel like and look like. And just for that briefest of moments, there was a confidence that was produced in the lives of the disciples who heard Jesus speaking plainly. And that explanation produced just a spark of something where they were like, yeah, we believe. And then Jesus hits them with the fact that just in a few hours, they're all going to leave him. And he's going to be alone. But he gives them hope. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. We talked a lot about pain and sorrow last week. We talked a lot about the, um, the difficult position that these apostles were in, these disciples were in. We just saw here that the only source of truth that they have is going to be leaving them. Remember, they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. Jesus knows what he's asking them what he's telling them is going to happen, it's going to be difficult for them. It's going to be rough. It's going to be tough. He uses the, the illustration of a, a woman giving birth and the, the pains that, that come with that. And that's their pain. And that's their sorrow. But there will be a joy after the child is born. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Jesus doesn't tell them the whole story here. And he says this earlier in his discourse, that they couldn't bear everything that was going to happen. And the truth here is that Jesus will not be alone, except for one point. There is one moment on the cross where Jesus will be alone. The pain of having your friends reject you, the pain of being beaten, lied about, nailed to a cross, mocked, spit on, all of those things is nothing compared to that moment where Jesus cries out, because the father turns his back. Because he cannot look upon the sin that Jesus has taken upon himself. That's loneliness. That's the pain. That's what Jesus endured for us. And I don't think it's a mistake. I don't think it's a mistake, guys, that... Every time that we have fear, every time that we feel like the woes of this world are so great that we cannot handle them, 
that we think of that moment. We think about the weight of our sin and what it did to our Savior. We think about how much our Savior loved us. That while we were still sinning, he chose that pain. He willingly went to it. Guys, I tell you, there is power in submission to the will of God. Our Savior, the night before he was arrested, or as he was being arrested that night, he prayed. And what does he pray? He says, Lord, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Other passages in Scripture tell us that Jesus went joyfully to the cross. He wasn't asking for a way out. Jesus willingly laid down his life for us worthless people. Worthless. The worthy one laid down his life for the worthless. And yet, he still says, ask for things in my name. Go back to 33 here. I said these things that you may have, I'm sorry, uh, even further back here. Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come. Uh, yet I am not alone, he says. Uh, where am I going here? Hang on. Oh, go back to, go back to verse uh, 26 here. In that day you will ask in my name, and I say to you uh, that you will ask the Father on my behalf. The Father himself, verse 27, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I have come from God. What Jesus is saying here is that the relationship that he has with the Father in Jesus' name will be the relationship that he has with us because of love. Because of the love of the Father. Because of the love that we have for Christ. Because of the belief that we have that Jesus has come from the Father. All of these things work together. If we are in submission to the will of God to paint this beautiful picture. That we are not alone. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Guys, there is a, there is a communion with the Trinity, and us with our spirit and the spirit of God that we have if we know Christ. The spirit intercedes for us. Jesus is our advocate in heaven. We have a blockbuster team on our side. And how does Jesus end this discourse here? If I can make my iPad work. Um, how does he end it? He said, I have said these things to you that you may have peace in the world. Uh, have, I'm sorry, <laughs> that you in me may have peace, but in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Guys, we have an all-star, blockbuster, no one can beat us team. And this is the way our coach decides to end his last teaching to his disciples. You have no idea the power and the strength of God compared to the power and the strength of this world. Sure, you will see, you will feel, you will touch things in this world that may seem to shake the very foundation of heaven, but take heart. 
I have overcome the world. This not only produces a great joy in the life of a believer, but it also creates a tremendous amount of peace and confidence in the believer. Jesus says, you're confused. Here's a picture of how I can clear up confusion. I can only do it by the power that is inside of me. And the power that is inside of Christ is greater than any power of this world. We'll go back to my story. So, uh, hey, guy comes out of McDonald's. Hey, looks at me. And then he looked in the passenger seat. And then he looked in the back seat. Um, I learned something very early on growing up in Philadelphia uh, as a four foot 11, 85 pound, um, you know, hawking man of a man. Um, I learned something real quick. You get big friends. That's what you do. You get big friends. Because you ain't going to survive unless you have big friends. Sitting in the passenger seat was a, a guy by the name of Jason Schneider. Um, some of you may not know Jason. That name may sound vaguely familiar. Uh, Jason Schneider was the heavyweight on our wrestling team. Um, he was a big boy. Uh, big boy from Columbus, Ohio. OH. I'm wearing a Penn State shirt. Um, OH. Uh, but big boy from, from the middle of the country there. And he looked mean. He had his head shaved like me. He was, a, he was a big boy. In the back seat was another member of our wrestling team. His name was Howie. Howie was in the Army. Um, Howie showed us how to do fun things with MREs and create fun things. And Howie was a madman. Like, he was just, he was absolutely insane. Another member of our wrestling team was in the back. And what I noticed was the other two guys that were with this individual who said, hey, had seen the rest of the car before he did. And they left him alone. And he said, hey, uh, why did you, why'd you hit your brakes? And I said, in the manliest voice, why were you following me so close? And he said, well, uh, and I said, well, uh, why don't you go back in and enjoy your meal? And he was like, he slammed the door and he walked away. And I'm sitting there, I get my food, we start to drive back, nobody's saying anything in the car. What most people didn't know about Jason Schneider, he was one of the nicest guys in the world. He didn't look like one of the nicest guys, he was one of the nicest guys, he was a big teddy bear. I mean, honestly, he was a big teddy bear. Um, but anyway, he, finally, we got to like a stoplight and I turned to Jason and I said, just so you know, I would have never have said any of that if you weren't in the car. <laughs> but it mattered who was in the car. It mattered. I don't think I would have, I probably still would have hit my brakes. I'm not, I'm just, I'm, and I would have been scared out of my mind. But it mattered who was in the car with me. Guys, it matters who's inside of you. The work that Christ did, it mattered. The tribulations of this world, Jesus says flat out here, I have overcome the world. 
Guys, when we leave here, when we leave here today, everybody look at me. Some people are taking notes. Dad, stop taking notes. Look at me. When we leave here today, how will we leave? Are we worried about everything that's going to happen outside of that door? Am I worried I'm going to get in the car? Um, I'm okay to drive. Julie offered to drive for me. I'm amped up right now. I'm okay to drive. Am I worried that on the road that we might not make it to Ohio? I mean, that's scary to think about, right? I'll have my whole family in the car. Mom, cover your ears. She's, look at her face. She's already, she's already crying over here. But is that my biggest fear? Or, mom and dad, would you be accepting? Would you be able to say, you know what, I don't understand. I don't understand, God, why you took these people from us. It's hard to think about. Some of us are thinking superstitiously right now, and they're like, don't even say it. Like, don't even say it. Who cares? Greater is Jesus than my words. God is still God if I am not on this earth. God is still God if my wife goes crazy and leaves me for some reason. God is still God if he chooses to take my children from me. It is so, I just want you guys to know, it is so easy for me to say right now because it hasn't happened. What would be my reaction? I don't know what problems you have outside that door here. I don't know what they are. But Jesus has told us flat out that we can have peace in him. The disciples right now, what's outside the door for them is super, super scary. It's scary for them. Jesus knows that it's scary for them. He knows he is asking them to walk something difficult because for the next few days they will be alone. But the joy that's going to come, the joy of the resurrection, seeing Jesus alive again. Remember the, the two on the road to Emmaus? I mean, they were, they were just, huh, did our hearts not burn? Guys, my prayer for you today is that in light of all the tribulation of this world, in light of all of the problems that you may face, your world may be falling apart, but God's world isn't. He is the one that's in control. And he's going to allow us to walk some difficult paths. And I praise God. I praise God that I have the spirit, I have the work of Christ, and I have the access to the Father. These three things, no one can stop me. No one can stop me. Why don't we have that attitude, though? Why do we so many times allow the, the waves and the things of this world to distract us? Jesus is saying, have peace. Have peace. I don't know what your struggle is today. I know what some of your struggles are because you've shared them with me. Know that I will be praying for you because I believe prayer works. I believe that when Jesus tells us to pray in his name, that works. I believe that I need to be submissive to the will of God in my prayers. As you pray, as you leave here, 
know that you're going to get punched in the face by this world. Know that this world is going to treat you unfairly. Know that this world is going to hate you because you follow Christ. But know that Jesus Christ has already overcome this world. What's the worst thing man can do? The worst thing man can do to me, personally, other than messing with my family because that would hurt, but what's the worst thing that they can do to me personally? They could send me home. They could send me home. That's the worst thing that they can do. There's a tremendous peace in knowing that. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, you have the position, Jesus. God, I ask that, Lord, that my prayers would be bathed in what your will is. God, there are many things that I want to see happen, that I would like to see happen. Lord, I'm excited to see what you're going to do. Lord, in James, uh, we remember it tells us to count it pure joy when we face many trials of different kinds. God, that is such a hard pill to swallow when we're in the midst of those trials, when we're ready to face them. God, give us the power by your spirit. Lord, we thank you that the spirit is already interceding for us in problems that we don't even know exist. That issues that are going to come up tomorrow or next week or next month. That your spirit is already on top of it for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you have allowed the spirit to indwell us. Lord, that we, we are able to abide in you and abide in your word, that your word exists in us, that your spirit reminds us of these things. God, such a great power. And that we have someone, Jesus, in the perfect position to be able to petition the Father for us. God, make our joy complete. God, allow us to have peace and rest in you, knowing that this world is going to hate us knowing that we are going to get punched in the face. Allow us to willingly walk the path. God, you are the one to be glorified, not Billy Mulligan, not anyone else sitting here, not anyone who has gone before us. You are the only one worthy of our praise. To your glory, Jesus, in Jesus' name, amen.